That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, to quote Montel Jordan, this is how we do it, Jake. Did I get that right? Is that the right reference? I've been getting my references wrong lately. All my 80s, 90s stuff in my head is getting all messed up. I don't know. It's advanced age. And that's why you should only re- really you should really only reference the Bible, Aaron. So, um, but no, I'm just that's kidding. Uh, no, those are that was right on the money. And so here we are. We are uh, recording uh, for the seventh Sunday of Easter. Although uh, you and I, in real time, have just entered into the Easter season. That's right. It is the it's Easter week. Today is Easter Wednesday, the twentieth of April. So we're getting we're getting ahead, which is exciting. Uh, but also, you and I were just chatting before the show. The Easter at our respective parishes went well, uh, and we are grateful to all the people that made that happen. For those of you that aren't um, in leadership of churches, either as a clergy person or a volunteer or staff member. It takes about 5,000 people to make Easter happen, and not just Easter, but Holy Week uh, at our churches, from the uh, sextons to the choir members to the administrative staff for all the stuff, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Palm Sunday, all of it. We have to order palms months in advance. You don't even know what it takes. Months in advance. And we even didn't get the right palms because of some sort of supply chain issues. But anyways... Uh, it's always the supply chain. It's always the supply chain. So uh, uh, today is the basically the seventh Sunday of Easter that we're recording for, and this is the Sunday uh, right after the uh, Feast of the Ascension, uh, and uh, right between Pentecost, where uh, we are we remember the the birth of the church and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I love uh, the collect today uh, for uh, the seventh Sunday of Easter. There's this phrase in there that says, Do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us. And uh, really, I think that that's the theme of our readings this week, is the fact that God never leaves us comfortless, but is always uh, present with us in His Holy Spirit to do amazing things. And so, uh, our readings today are Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 34, and then we have Revelation chapter 22, a whole skip of a bunch of verses, whatever, and then John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. Yeah, so let's jump in as we get ready. Uh, uh, by the way, preachers, uh, as since you're preaching for this Sunday, seventh Sunday of Easter, you're really looking ahead to Pentecost uh, and and talking. And, and you know, you probably have baptisms next week. This is the Sunday that if you want to announce for people to wear red, if that's what you do, um, announce it this Sunday for next Sunday, day of Pentecost, when you will. Um, maybe have some baptisms and celebrate the Holy Spirit coming. So, yeah, we begin uh, this Sunday with this reading from the book of Acts. We're continuing the story in Acts. We've been in it. There was a guy who, in a dream, told them to come to Macedonia, and so they do. They arrive in Philippi, um, which is where Paul's going to plant a church 
and then he'll write a letter to them later, which is where we get the book of Philippians. So this is the backstory. And he gets there, and there's a girl who is possessed by a spirit that allows her to tell people's fortunes, and uh, but it gives her also knowledge of who Paul is and who Paul and Silas serve. So she is walking around behind them yelling, these guys are telling you the truth about how to get saved. And uh, it gets so annoying. It's so interesting. Paul doesn't heal this woman until he just sort of gets like, ah, oh, just she's just he's yelling all the time. And so he just orders this demon to come out, this spirit, and it does. And um, their owners of this girl are not then pleased that this has happened, that she's been freed from her malady, this thing that's been affecting her. They're really ticked because now they've lost the chance to make money off of this woman telling people's fortunes. So they have mm. them arrested, and it starts. I, they get put into jail. So what were you going to say, Jake? Yeah. Well, you know, I've heard a few horrible, horrible sermons on this particular passage, especially about, you know, Paul not understanding and celebrating the diversity there. And so, uh, you know, um, not understanding her spirit. And uh, that's, that's a terrible, terrible message. Um, really, what this, the first thing that this is about, and one of the first points you want to make is that, um, other spirits are designed to exploit you. You know, the, the point of like the, uh, the, the spiritual battle that we are engaged in and, and are going through is uh, this has nothing to do with Paul not understanding the different spirit in her and uh, not understanding diversity. What's literally happening to this woman is she is being exploited. Mm-hmm. Uh, by these guys. And um, and so, uh, what Paul does in kind of, um, you know, in his irritation is he delivers her from uh, this um, this sense of exploitation. Now, a lot of people, I mean, they were like, oh, and she lost her living and her sense of, like, nonsense. This woman is, this woman is a slave being exploited. Right. And so, on a profound level, there's an act of deliverance that occurs yeah. here. And the other thing that's going on is the gospel is beginning to go out further and further to places like Philippi. It's a Roman colony. Yes. These are not Jewish people. And named after Philip that's right. the Great. And who's the background. dad of uh, Alexander. Alexander. Mm. Yeah. And uh, who, who peaked early, let us say that about Alexander. Died young, <laughs> but did a lot before he died. Um, so yeah, Philippi is where they are. And uh, this is, you see Paul and Silas get dragged before the authorities and the charge, they don't tell them what they're really mad at them for, which is, you know, changing their earning potential because this woman is now freed of this spirit. They just say, these Jews are advocating customs that are not lawful for us. And so uh, then there's a whole mob that attacks them. They're flogged, meaning they're beaten. Like, this is really brutal punishment. You just get an idea of the brutality and cruelty of Jewish, <laughs> or sorry, of Roman uh, civilization. Uh, we tend to uh, idealize and romanticize the Romans, but not, not a great thing unless you were very rich and male and powerful. That's right. Um, And so they're in jail. And this, again, I think one of the, if you're going to preach this passage, God showed up in a dream or somebody, God gave them a dream that told them to come here and preach the gospel. And they arrive and everything goes very badly. It hits the fan. Uh, And this is important to note that when you are in God's will, and you're following his plan. And God has spoken more clearly to Paul and Silas than God usually speaks to most of us. He A very clear dream, a very clear message, do this. They're in the heart of God's will. And in the heart of God's will, it's awful, at least for them in this moment right now. 
awful externally. Internally, they have this assurance and peace that they are loved because here they are in jail and they're singing, they're praying. Um, and it turns out that in jail, God wants them there because he wants to bring res rescue even to the jailer. So the there's this, God gets them out of jail because of an earthquake, the doors open, chains are open, which is a great metaphor for what God does for people in Christ, and um, they're freed. And so the jailer knows that he's now liable to be punished um, because he's let he's failed at his job. All these prisoners are going free, and uh, and he says. What must I do to be saved? That great question. So, God's well. Uh, he's about to fall on yeah, his sword. He's I mean, suicide. and then Paul's like, "Don't ho harm right. yourself, for we're all here." I love that they didn't book it yeah. out of there. You know what I mean? That's like the shocking thing. Um, is that you know the instinct would be, well, let's save ourselves. But Paul and Silas, they know even in the midst of this that they're in the will of God. They don't need to take things into their own hands. I mean, if we were to take control the moment those chains would have fell off, yeah, it would have booked out of there. But they didn't. They hang loose. And this shocks the right. jailer. Clearly, there is something um, that these men aren't afraid to and just take off. This... Uh, you know, this triggers, and, and the jailer knows probably that his days are numbered regardless. So he says, you know, uh, not what must I do to keep my job, but what must I do to be saved in an ultimate and sense? typically in the Roman world, if you asked, that he would have thought that Paul and Silas, clearly, and he does think this, are representatives of some deity. Um, and mm -hmm. in the Roman pantheon, if you want to get in the good graces of a god you've offended, which this jailer thinks he ha obviously he's offended some god because this god has now released these prisoners. So these prisoners must be a really important deal, and this jailer has offended them because he's jailed these, you know, servants of this of this deity. And so what must I do to be saved? How can I save my skin? Basically saying, what do I need to do to make your god happy so he doesn't smite me, which is what the Roman pantheon normally would do. So what kind of sacrifice do I have to offer? What sort of incantation do I have to say? How much money do I have to give you, quote unquote you, uh, to give to your God? Um, all these things, they, Paul and Silas could have exploited this any number of ways, and all of it would have been in the jailer's mind, something that he needs to do to, to get, like, to give money, to give sacrifice, or whatever. And so their reply... That's, and that's, what's being con that's actually what's being contrasted with the earlier part yeah, of this reading. Yes. In Acts chapter 16. So they are not exploited. They, here's the moment they could have exploited this man like these other people were doing with this woman who's possessed by a spirit. They don't exploit. They bring in They just say, believe the in the Lord Jesus. And we hear that so much in our culture. Mm -hmm. We've heard, you know, we see the signs all over the place, the billboards in Texas and the posters at football games or whatever. Um, but this is a radical thing. Just say, believe on the Lord Jesus. Trust in someone other than yourself. You don't have to make this God happy by doing some sacrifice or making, giving some money or mm -hmm. whatever. Just believe in the Lord Jesus. And the other thing too here, his whole household is saved. So it's a, not, a, not an individualistic right. understanding of salvation, but one that comes to the whole community, um, which is a side note, but kind of a corrective to the hyper-individualism of our society. And then... And then this leads to tremendous fruit. You know, it says uh, that uh, that at that same hour of the night, he took them, Paul and Silas, and he washed their mm. wounds. And then he and his entire family were baptized without delay, and they brought and set out food before him. So, and his entire household rejoiced that they had become a believer in God. You know, they had uh, they had become they had believed in this God who is the Savior of the world, and uh, this led to great joy and That's fruit. Right. Um, 
Because without that, God's actually an, a, a fearful abstraction. Exactly. And we know we have a God who's with us, and we, who, who is also a great cosmic power above all things. And so that's what we begin to get to in the reading from Revelation, uh, which, again, also we've been going through that in this Easter season. And we see the end of the book of Revelation here, chapter 22. Again, as Jake mentioned, a lot of verses get sort of skipped, uh, omitted, but it's this idea... Um, this stuff's kind of hard to preach on because it does seem a little abstract. Uh, but it's, it's um, I think the key thing, if you're going to preach on this, um, other than the great cosmic power of Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, he's, he's everything. He holds existence together. Is this beautiful uh, commandment to come um, and people that are thirsty to come get the water of life. So there's this, again, Jesus, even in this great exalted kind of totally um, being seen not this humble Galilean peasant, but the second person of the Trinity, the Alpha, the Omega, all of that. Even now, he's still saying, let everyone who's thirsty come, and this message about the water of life and all that sort of stuff. And, and so seeing people's need and inviting them to come and receive uh, what they need, that thing that will, that will satisfy that need. Yeah, this is the uh, finally the great reversal of Eden, if you will. Uh, what the Holy Spirit gives us, you know. If you remember in the in the in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve are are given uh, clothes, you know, they're covered in a uh, sacrifice apart from themselves, but are cast away from the tree of life. They're cast away so that they do not enter into um, God's judgment forever. Uh, however, this now is the great reversal of it, and the one who was at the beginning is there finally at the very end. The one who was first is there at the last, and uh, and uh, and he now uh, with the whole world by virtue of this new Adam, Jesus, who has washed our robes in His blood. He's the Lamb that was uh, slaughtered, as some translations say. Um, now, because of Him. And uh, their robes being washed in his blood are given the right to come to the tree of life. This, this, this tree by which all of humanity was forbidden, now clothed. And why? Because it's Jesus uh, who uh, does this, the root, the descendant, the bright morning star. Um, there's a, a, a number of great quotes from church fathers who saw this tree of life as... Um, as uh, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, as the crucifix, and as the same tree. And I love uh, what uh, Tertullian—not uh, Tertullian, uh, but um, um, oh my gosh, his name is slipping my mind. Um, it'll come in just a second. Greatly saddened was the tree of life when it beheld Adam stolen away from it. It sank down into the virgin ground and was hidden to burst forth and reappear on Golgotha. Under the old covenant, the tree of life continued to remain hidden from humanity, and it was only with the crucifixion that it was finally made manifest. Um, uh, Cyprian is his name, Saint Cyprian, and uh, um, and he. It's just this powerful idea that Jesus is the tree of life, and now he bids sinful humanity to come to him by virtue of his sacrifice and washing us pure in his, in his sacrifice to come and receive and feed on these fruits, uh, which is the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood. That's the fruit of the tree of life that enables us to come and uh, never die and sustains us until he truly does come again. I, I'm glad you corrected. I thought it was Kevin Hart that said that, so I'm glad that you 
Yeah, it was close. Oh, here, this is another quote. The tree of the cross is born of fruit that gives eternal life unto the world. And as we eat of it, O Christ, we are delivered from death. Um, I mean, that is just amazing. And that's the tree that's at the center of this city. Praise God. And yeah, note, heaven described it's a city. It's like, I think, many people, as they envision heaven, they think about horses in an open field or something, which, you know, could be, but, but well, think wasn't, of a city. Wasn't that, what was that guy's name, Wild at John Heart? John uh, Yeah, and he was like, you know, out on the frontier, and I was like, there's like nowhere else I'd rather not be. There's going to be so, a bodega at the bottom of your building. Yeah. There's going to be a little park so across the street. It's a city. Heaven ends That's in right. a city. Praise God. And so, and yeah, the bacon, egg, and cheese are going to be outrageously mm. good without Bagels. sin. So, um, All right. Dude, okay. Let's do it. Let's keep keep moving. John chapter uh, 17. Um, Again, as we do, we're sort of jumping around in terms of the salvation history timeline, beginning with Acts 16. So, that's like the decades of the early church. Then we go kind of way futuristic, Revelation 22, this eschatological vision. And now we're back in Jesus's earthly ministry. So, so way back in time um, where Jesus is crucified and he, this prayer that they would be one. And the reason this reading is here is because next Sunday is Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus's prayer that he would be in us and we would be in him and that we would all be one. All of that is... Um, going to be accomplished because of the work of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and empowers us and connects us to Christ um, and always points us back to Jesus Christ. So, that's why this is here. And it's um, there's a lot you could say here. I think this little passage, though, gives an insight into the heart of Christ for us. And your whole sermon could be where he says that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this is the amount of love that God has for everybody in the pews, everybody in the stacking chairs, everybody uh, on whatever sort of church seating you have is loved by God as much as God the Father loves the Son. And this is unbelievable. And again, mm-hmm. Jesus is saying these words right before they all desert him, right before they're all not going to be one. Like he knows their failure. He knows them. And, uh, and yet he still is going to do this for them and he still loves them. And, and, he, and again, so he says it at the end of the passage, so the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Like this is why he dies on the cross is so that we can know all that. So you could just mm-hmm. t- talk about that and that'll preach. Yeah, and I think, you know, too, another great thing is that the glory that you've given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, uh, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Uh, That's a very powerful thing. So, what is the thing that, like, really binds us together? Um, what's the thing that really unites us? And, uh, you know, this is going back to like the early church fathers as well. Um, But the glory you have given me. See, we oftentimes interpret that and we want to preach on that as like something shiny and something really exciting. But the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus in this age manifests itself um, in a cross. It manifests itself in like suffering and, uh, and, you know, this is really, I mean, on this age, the glory that God has given us, 
uh, not to be friends with the world, but uh, to uh, suffer in the midst of it. And really, it is in our suffering and it's in our pain that really sometimes humanity finds a real commonality. When things are great, we love to divide and I'm right and you better follow me clearly. And so, but what this is a reminder of is that the, the glory that has been given us is the glory of the cross, the glory and the foolishness to the Greeks and the, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, just total ridiculousness to everybody else, this, uh, this idea of the cross. This is what makes us one. And this is how uh, the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me is the cross. And so really that is the glory that we point to. That is the glory that makes us one as Christians. And uh, that is the only glory that endures. Amen. Well, you know what doesn't endure is this podcast. I think we've reached the Indeed. end. And yep, we'll, uh, an end. we'll see you next week as we talk about the, um, the flaming heads of the disciples and the day mm. of Pentecost and why people are not drunk at nine o'clock in the morning because they don't go to Penn State. Mm, that's good thank you and, very much and uh, we can talk about what I think about tongues <laughs> so anyway praise God alright <laughs> see you next week somebody's looking somebody cares somebody wonders what you're doing today you know we crucified him buried him but three days later well the stone got rolled away and yes, thanks for listening to Same Old Song Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.